This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Claire Edwards, founder of the social movement Pledge for Change and an inspired healthcare transformation expert who has deep health sector transformation experience covering private practice, public and community sector health. Claire has a big vision for transforming healthcare using the leading change model and offers valuable insights from her researched and lived experience in transforming healthcare and how easy it is for all of us to embrace change one step at a time. Let's jump in. Well, hi, Claire. How are you today? Good, thank you. That's great. Look, thanks for making the time uh, to come along and speak with me today. Really excited to have you on board. Uh, you have a big vision, Claire, for transformation in healthcare, and I love speaking with you about it. Um, and you've done a ton of work in actually laying down the foundation based on a set of principles for how healthcare providers can transform. And um, and I want to sort of unpack that today and sort of talk through it with you. But um, perhaps you could start by just quickly introducing yourself. I am genuinely passionate and excited about helping individuals, businesses and organisations to transform healthcare, but in a really pragmatic way by doing it one change at a time, from acute services to aged care to primary and community health to public health. And it's been through the work that I was doing in the department that then uh, made me say, okay, well, what would it look like if I was on the other side of the fence? So if I wasn't writing policy, doing strategy, doing change in the department, what would it look like as a consultant? And so five years ago, I took that step out into the world of consulting and have been continuing to work with public sector healthcare organisations, not-for-profit organisations in the community and also working a lot with private practice about building their capacity to deliver their services um, much better in their individual practices and businesses. So I continue to work in healthcare and I'm really passionate about working in that space. Love the fact that I can talk business uh, generate outcomes in healthcare that are positive at a community and a societal level through to what is it that government might be driving in terms of trying to shape both of those spaces. Wow, there's um, there's so much to unpack there. And um, I know in the time that I've gotten to know you, your passion definitely comes through. And I think what's uh, unique about what you're doing is that you've translated that passion into a methodology and a a set of guides, if you will, that um, people can really tap into. And uh, you've got a really innovative approach on how you want to help healthcare transform. And that's kind of things where you have built your approach around um, what you're describing as the leading change model. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what that is? When I get brought into organisations, quite often it's either to review a program area 
review the business and how it's operating, how it's working. And often they're in dire straits by the time they've picked up the phone and called me or connected with me. And what I recognised was irrespective of which type of organisation I was coming into, so whether I was going into a small private practice with one practitioner through to larger, maybe franchise private practice, all the way through to large public sector hospitals. They were all grappling with the same thing, which was this ability to know the work that they do day in and day out, what what their current state was. They all had these aspirations and desires about where they wanted to be and what they wanted to be doing. And then working out, well, what did they need to do, which I call kind of the transition state in between. And it was through this that I kind of went, oh, hang on, I'm going into these organisations and into these businesses and I'm using the same tools, the same models, the same methodology. Some of the content might have been a bit different or it could have been the scale or the size is different, but I was essentially doing the same thing time and time again. And it got me thinking, why am I the one that's doing this time and time again? Wouldn't it be better if I actually you know, the old analogy taught people how to fish. So why don't I just open up the IP that I use? Because I was able to see the difference that I was able to make in those organisations and businesses to get them back on track or to improve their model of care or to get better outcomes. And so it was really a matter of me going, okay, well, what's going on in my head? How do I extract that out? And how do I build it into a process that's easy for anybody to follow? So literally I wanted to make it so simple that anybody could pick it up and they could run with it. And for me that was really important because who am I to stop people from making the changes that they could make in their businesses in and across the healthcare sector um, just because they don't know what they don't know. So this is an opportunity for me to go, okay, you may not know how to change. You might know what you want to change, but you just don't know how to go about doing it. Here is the the minimum tool set that you can use to go about doing that change. And so I've written that into a book, which is freely available. And that's one of my deep beliefs is that um, a model is useful until it's not. And if there are people out there in the healthcare system that can pick up my book follow the models, follow the tools, use the templates and apply it in their own context and in their own situations and make a difference. To be a part of that is just amazing for me. And essentially I kind of see it that I've thrown my book in and it's created that first ripple. And if that ripple can keep on spreading, um, I think that would have um, an amazing outcome on the healthcare system. And it's, it is really about if a few people can make that change collectively that starts to lift the capability and capacity and really what I identified was um, the gap that exists is that um, people don't necessarily know how to change. It's not something that you're taught. And so the leading change model is essentially helping people to facilitate that process, to coach other people through that process or, or in fact, they themselves to lead that process because um, I think they're the skills that are needed. So often we get content experts, so people who are really good in an um, aspect or an element of healthcare to lead change without having any of the capabilities to lead change. And so we're just essentially setting them up to fail and I think that's the wrong thing to do. And so I just wanted to create a resource 
to help those content experts at least get a better outcome from the changes that they're trying to introduce. And so that's kind of the driver behind the model and the model is there and it um, helps people know their current state, their future state, what they need to do to transition, but also takes them through the whole implementation process as well. I think it's a very progressive uh, mindset. It's certainly near and dear to my heart philosophically. I know from uh, our community standpoint, both uh, in and around Core Plus, uh, the platform, as well as the Health Tech X community that's growing, it occurred to me a little while ago that there's um, there's been so much um, knowledge uh, brought into the tech sector, you know, to try and figure out culture, to try and figure out productivity, to try and figure out how to understand clients and their needs and there's a lot of fantastic concepts that we've learned and um, continue to learn over the years. And and so it's something that we've done that's quite similar in some ways is we've developed a, um, a community partner program that has a, a framework for allowing experts like yourself to actually implement uh, what we're calling a chute. And the chute is very similar to the type of tools that you've made available online where um, they're a simplified step-by-step approach, a method, if you will, for how to go about that one thing that you want to take on and in a variety of different contexts. So when I was reading through um, some of the work that you've done, and, and you've got an incredible resource there, by the way, if, um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes because I think um, it's an incredible resource for people to actually tap into. And I think it's important. It kind of I had this um, sort of metaphor in my head as you were talking about, you know, when you walk, um, or, you know, before cities and what have you, you'd walk out in the countryside and you can always tell where the uh, track was. And that was intuitively and instantly a, um, a place for you to prefer to walk, you know, rather than just sort of rough out a, a track yourself. And eventually the track gets walked on by many people and it turns into a path and then eventually it gets into a road and it becomes the way that everybody moves between point A and point B. I really have that kind of uh, relationship with the idea of freely putting tracks out there that help people to at least, um, you know, start to focus on how they're going to move forward. But I also think that inevitably, as much as you give away guidance and advice, you still need to help people to implement it and move forward. Is that something that you're finding through your experience as well? Yeah, it is really interesting when it comes to that guidance and that, you know, that next level, what is it that people need? And I think when I was developing this model, I was highly conscious that people are already using a whole range of tools and have some preferred methods. And so I wanted to create a model that could be inclusive of those and where um, if there was a particular approach that people liked to use, where that could be slotted in or added to. And so this is why I've intentionally uh, called the book a playbook and essentially gone, as you learn new plays, use those tools, do those things. So exactly as you said, yep, there is a path, but that's not the only path. And I think this is where you then have the people who are a free mind and free spirit that start to add to those paths and go off the beaten track, if you like. And I think when it comes to, as you say, implementation and helping people, the bit that I find really interesting is this level of trust about I'm happy to guide people off that beaten track, but you have to have trust to do that. And I think the challenge that I've found is even having a resource that is freely available, people are even sceptical about that and don't want to engage. And so I'm really overt with when I say something is freely available, I'm not even asking for your email address. I'm not going to then hound you and stalk you. I'm saying, no, actually take this resource, use what's useful, run with what you can, 
insert what you want into it. And, you know, I kind of think about things, just hold everything lightly. If it works, brilliant. If it's not working, don't flog that dead horse. You know, just put it to the side and go, actually, that template didn't work for us or that approach wasn't quite right. I think we'll use this approach. And I just want people to take action. I just want people to experiment and have fun and hold some of this stuff lightly. And so even the tools that I've selected within the playbook, by no means are they necessarily the best tool or the most comprehensive tool. And I'm not going out saying this model is the panacea to all of your change worries across the health system. But what I am saying is start with something, just pick something and let's move because um, I often think when it comes to implementation, we've got our cycle of how we think wrong. And I talk about this um, in the book as well where I, I think people are looking for clarity in the first instance. So they want to be super clear about what it is that they're going to do, what's actually going to happen, who's going to be involved, how are they going to feel about a change. So they're looking for this clarity. And then they move into this mode of now we've got to get everyone, you know, all this buy-in and we've all got to get motivated and we've got to get all pumped and excited about this change that's going to come. And the last thing they do is take action. And what we all know, and especially in the tech world, is actually the first time your change, your service, your product, whatever it might be, encounters real human beings, you actually learn a heck of a lot. And it's often that what you thought was not right at all. And so we've got this cycle of clarity, motivation, action, because we've invested so much in clarity and so much in motivation by the time we take action, even if it's the wrong action, we just keep on doing it. And so the thing I want organisations to do and I want businesses to do and I want happening in healthcare is actually to go, it's okay to act first because as soon as you act, you're actually going to then have greater clarity about what you're doing. Is it the right thing to do? Is it the wrong thing to do? Is it having the desired outcome that you want it to have? So, in fact, I think it goes in another way. Act first then get clarity as a result of the actions that you've taken and then you're either motivated to do more of it because it's achieving the results that you want or, in fact, bloody well stop. There is so much um, wasted time, energy and effort out in the healthcare system where we are making the same mistakes over and over or we're busy doing what I call stuff because we actually haven't stopped to look at what is it that we're doing why is it that we're doing it and what's the difference that we wanted to see as a result of doing that? And when we actually do stop and look at that, we, we kind of in many instances start scratching our head going, geez, we've been doing this and it takes a whole heap of time, energy and effort to do it, but it's not in fact making the difference that we thought it would or we were hoping it would or that it was intended to make. And it's for me, it's at that point in time where I get to stop, just don't keep on doing it. You know, people in the healthcare system already are feeling overwhelmed. There is healthcare reform happening in every part of the healthcare sector and system. Plus, if you're in private practice, there's changes that are happening in terms of how business is delivered. New business models are emerging. Different revenue models are being optioned up. So there's a whole heap of business change. And then throw on top of that any clinical advancements and changes. And it's just a recipe, I think, for complete overwhelm. And I think that's what I'm actually seeing a lot of is as soon as I say, oh, yeah, I'm a change management expert, I work in that transformation change space, 
People are either putting their fingers in their ears going la, 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 don't mention that word change, or in fact they're putting their head in the sand going, God, I hope this just blows over. I just hope this is the storm and it's gone, where I think actually this is the new reality for healthcare. This is the, the new space that healthcare has to operate in. There is going to be constant change and some of that is definitely going to be driven by the tech space and what's possible, but a whole lot of it's going to be driven also by client and consumer expectations. It's going to be driven by competition in sectors that you didn't necessarily compete with in the past. So there's so much happening that I think you can either become overwhelmed and go, I just want to completely disengage, or you can in fact see all of this change as a real opportunity to reimagine how you could deliver healthcare to really think about what is possible and what is it that you've done because that's how it's always been done versus how might you do it if you um, not necessarily even had a clean slate, but how might you tweak and adjust and do what you do so that you can differentiate and what can become quite a grey and bland market in healthcare. Oh, gosh, there's so many parallels. Uh, from my uh, lived experience um, over time, you know, I was, I was in the corporate sector prior to getting into startup and it used to just do my head in how the corporate worked, you know, and it, there were a lot of incentives to actually do all this planning up front, which is exactly what you're describing. And for some reason, the CFO or whoever was um, signing off on the expenditure couldn't see the amount of time and effort costs that were going into the quote-unquote planning. And what they would have is this really thick document of intention and none of it has actually been experienced by a customer yet. And so all of a sudden that would get signed off and it was incredibly hard to actually stop that process because there was ego attached, there were people's uh, roles and sense of fear you know, to acknowledge that it wasn't actually working or the customers weren't actually valuing what was being put out there. And there's a uh, project management methodology that was, uh, it was a pretty common side effect for that to happen. It, it was called waterfall. And, um, and that would be, you know, really great. And we had all these Gantt charts and everything was sort of sequenced and we'd do this first and then that and then the rest. And um, at no point, you know, change management was really time, cost and expensive to go about. And, but all of a sudden there was this sort of philosophical shift that started to permeate, you know, through the tech sector and, and that's now called Agile. And uh, it was basically an idea that, um, you know, you shouldn't over plan. We operate that way and all of our projects operate that way. And what we do is we we have a, um, a crew-based approach where there's there's a team who has all the skills and capabilities to be able to autonomously approach a situation. And I see so much correlation between the type of tools that you're offering freely, by the way, um, which uh, help kind of um, address those uh, sort of unit or crew-based approaches where you can tackle a, a particular initiative, ACT as you call it, or in our case we call it a uh, sprint, a sprint outcome, you know, which is usually a week or two in time duration where you just pick a really small step to take yeah. and you implement that for, in our case, our customer, the user of the software. And, um, and then we test and measure, right? And, and something happens. The customer goes, wow, that's great. Or they go, I really hate that it's changed things. Or they just have a neutral, you know, ambivalent kind of reaction to it or something in between. So that type of feedback then helps us to assess whether we continue down that path or whether we stop and change direction. 
you know, it's not emotionally taxing. It's not uh, too costly. You know, worst case scenario, it's a week or two of development time and effort within that crew. And we don't emotionally invest ourselves in um, proving that just because we thought it was a good idea, it is a good idea. No, because we're here to serve our customers. And so if our customers don't like it, it doesn't matter whether it's a good idea or not. Nobody cares. So let's just discard that strategy and move in another direction. And I think that's exactly what you're trying to tell the healthcare industry. Exactly. And um, when I think about um, the models that I that we use when it comes to implementation, I think one of the key things, and you know, you've you've touched on it in terms of time frame. So I talk about um, and I've attached agendas and running sheets and those sorts of things in as additional tools as part of this work so that you can go, right, if I can only bring staff together for two hours, what can I actually achieve and get done? And I think about the way in which the model's designed, I, you know, there's the direction and the implementation component of it. Direction and half of implementation should easily be completed within, I, I say, two days, essentially 12 hours. However, that's divided up. So within 12 hours, what you should be able to do is know the current state, the future state, develop the transition state, and the transition state is essentially what are we going to do and why are we doing it. The implementation component is about now how are we going to do it. And I often say there's a 101 ways to skin a cat, but if you know what you're doing and why you're doing it, that outcome that you're trying to achieve, you want to skin a cat, how you go about doing it, trying to find that right way the first time is really, really difficult. And I think... What we often see in these situations is that people will have an idea about how something needs to be done and they'll be really attached and passionate about that idea. And I often call it the idea of blenders or the blender idea. It's the one that bubbles to the surface that seems to get ran with rather than um, a level of due diligence being done around ideas. So one of the things I'm really passionate about is there are a heap of great ideas out there in the healthcare system but we still need to do a level of due diligence. And it's not about discrediting ideas, but it's actually about stopping and going, Are they, is the idea that we're pushing, is it desirable? And I love thinking about desirability because it's not just about desirability for the business. It's actually about is it desirable for the clients? Is it desirable for the staff that are, in fact, going to have to implement the idea? Is it desirable at a health system ecosystem level? And so this is where I get organisations to think a little bit more about what it is that they're doing and who is it that they're trying to add value for. So I often say if change isn't going to add value to the clients, to the organisational business or at a healthcare ecosystem, don't do it. Don't care what the change is, do not do it. If an idea isn't going to be desirable, so it's liked by all of the people that it needs to be liked by, if it's not going to be feasible so it can actually be done, it can actually be delivered either within um, the organisation based on the skills, the capabilities, the resources, time, you know, if it's not um, feasible, don't do it. Then in the last instance, check the viability. So often we upfront look at viability of an idea, whereas I think if you can get it through desirable and feasible, you'll in fact find more innovative and new ways to make it viable because all of a sudden everybody's on board because it's desirable, you've checked it off, 
it's feasible, you know it can be done, then viability is that last bit. Can can we fund it? How could it be funded? And what might we need to do in the short term, medium term? And it's only then that I think a decision maker should decide whether that's an idea to go ahead with. And exactly like your sprints, which are occurring over two weeks, I say, actually, that idea that makes it through those checking points, that's the one that you're implementing, but you need to evaluate that within 90 days. So you're going out with this kind of minimum viable product, if you like, all this, what is it that we can test? Um, What is it that we can see? Is it achieving the outcomes that we thought it would achieve? Is it making the difference that we need it to make? And check within 90 days. Within 90 days, people don't have the same level of emotional investment in something. You can pick a smaller cohort of patients or clients that you might want to test that with. You could work with a discrete group of staff that might be deploying it to really understand it. So you're not um, doing a big launch and all of a sudden this is a project that we're going with and everyone's going, yes, and everyone's like, what, and it's going to solve all the problems in the world. You're actually breaking it down, as you say, to these small, more tangible, more manageable things. And I love the fact that um, encouraging people to evaluate every 90 days because, in fact, what you're able to do is celebrate those small wins. And I think that's so important, particularly for us as humans, we need to see progress. We thrive on that. And when we start to see progress, we become more engaged and more motivated. And I think it stops staff from you know, this 90-day cycle becomes the norm. And so change isn't a thing that happens to you. You're actually going, actually, this is just how we do business. This is just part of what we do. We just evaluate things. We're checking that they're making a difference every 90 days. And I know some private practices go, oh, my gosh, that seems really big and overwhelming and we've only got a few staff and we, you know, we really probably can't invest in doing this really well. Whereas I kind of look at it and going, if you're not investing in doing this, if you're not building the capability of your staff to do this and you're not keeping pace with changes that are happening externally, let alone any change that might need to happen internally, you're not going to be around for very long. And I think there is um, a real reality check that's coming in, even at a public sector level where they're funded by government going, the same kind of money isn't flowing in the same way. Um, and we just need to look at aged care and NDIS around that. That's been a real shock for a lot of public sector organisations going, oh, but we used to just get a lump sum and we could work out what we wanted to do and clients just came to us. They're in a much more competitive market space and they're having to learn how to talk business. And so, you know, I think I saw a statistic the other day that showed more than 50% of um, therapy services under NDIS are now delivered by the private sector. So these aren't large entities. These are small private practices that are, in fact, capitalised on an amazing opportunity and delivering really valuable services um, to clients in need. But that wasn't the case even two years ago. So there's been this real shift in how money flows, which opens up opportunities, I think, that you need to be ahead of the game. You need to be thinking about this stuff. You need to be... Yes, planning for it, but you just need to be more, have a greater consciousness around the context within which healthcare is operating. And I think that's really challenging for so many clinicians because the reason that they got into healthcare is because they were passionate about delivering good quality care. It wasn't because they wanted to run a business. 
It wasn't because um, they wanted to um, work within a government organisation or institution. It was about the care that they could deliver and the difference that they could make in people's lives. And I think it's that transition is um, really interesting, I think, in terms of mindset. I think there's a real shift that's starting to occur. But there are, as I said, still a whole lot of practices out there um, and organisations out there that are putting their head in the sand and saying, please, just go away. I don't want any more change. Had enough of change. I'm fatigued by it. But the reality is, as I said, this is the new norm that they're going to have to get used to and they're going to have to build their capabilities around being used to managing and transitioning through change. We break up our cycles, the sprints, into a term we call an iteration. And from your point of view, you're, you're describing a 90-day kind of iteration. That's the way I relate to it. Whereas in, in the health tech um, world, we would do a one or two-week iteration. I think it's the same logic. It's just that with software, you know, you don't need 90 days to add a field and test and measure whether it's been accepted or valued by, by the customer. Whereas um, if you're making a change in a healthcare setting, that certainly makes sense to me. It's a reasonable time frame to um, work around in terms of getting the feedback loop happening and then assessing whether it's been valued or not by the recipient. Just picking up on that uh, NDIS um, statistic that you're describing, from a uh, lived experience standpoint, I would um, I would share that sentiment because um, the Health Tech X community uh, started up a project um, uh, around about 18 months ago, which has now been launched into the market. It's called Ability X. And um, that particular project was um, built initially for not-for-profit organisations, uh, community organisations who were transitioning from block funding into the consumer-directed care payment model. And there was a lot of pain. And it wasn't just pain in the business model transitioning, but it was also dealing with a scheme that was under construction and um, changing. So, you know, if we, we want to be fatigued about change, there's also the payer under the scheme that's doing a lot of change as well. But the only thing that's constant in life is change. And so, you know, what we saw is that we thought back then, 18 months ago, if I was having a conversation with you, I would have estimated, you know, something in the order of four, four and a half thousand organisations in Australia who fit the prevailing profile of a uh, community slash NDIS service provider type model. Whereas today, I think even the um, the CEO at the, uh, well, the former CEO at the NDIS talks about something uh, close to 50,000 businesses that would um, provide services under the scheme. Why? The key reason is exactly what your statistic is talking about, that we've had a, um, we've had new entrants who can provide services. And there are an incredible amount of um, multidisciplinary small practices out there who don't dedicate their businesses to providing NDIS services, but supporting NDIS participants is a subset of their business now. And it's just happened. And now they're dealing with the impact of that, which is precisely what you're talking about there. So we have a lived experience of that. And it's quite interesting how the project Ability X now offers um, allied health private practices an opportunity to extend their core system, their private practice system. Core Plus, for example, to be able to do more in that particular space. So that's where health tech and people and the change sort of intersect. And it gets easier if we put our, our heads together on how to solve these types of challenges. So I think that's incredible. And I think the the key takeaway, at least I relate to it, is you've got to follow the customer. If the customer wants to engage with you in a certain way and you're not, they're going to go somewhere else. They're not going to be satisfied. They're not going to feed back to you that everything's great and things are going well. And they'll be reluctant to work with you. So, um, you know, the idea of kind of reimagining healthcare in the context of um, how does healthcare fit into 
the lives, the schedules, the goals and aspirations of your client. And when you ask that question of yourself, it changes the perspective from being, how do I want to provide services to somebody to how do they want me to provide services? I actually really like the philosophy of NDIS, that whole idea of client centricity and actually putting the client at the center of healthcare. It's a really powerful idea. And I think it opens up your mind to reimagining the way that your service model can evolve. But if you're afraid of change, then you're just going to be left behind. And, and I actually fear that with a lot of private practices out there and some community organizations is that particularly with the NDIS, there is this kind of propagation of how hard it is to get registered and how to deal with that and, you know, the ominous audit and, and what have you. And, and you kind of think, well, others are doing it. So it's not humanly impossible to do. So if you buy into the fear, if you buy into the resistance, all you're doing is um, leaving yourself behind. In a way, you almost have to feel the fear and do it anyway and just have a crack at it, which I think is precisely what you're trying to say. And also getting advice from people who are optimistic and confident like yourself as opposed to the fear merchants uh, that may have an interest in why they're describing the transition as difficult and challenging and, oh, it's so ominous. I think that positivity that you bring is really essential for the transformation ingredient as well. You've just got to embrace that as an ethos. It's like, yes, we can. We can do it. It's not impossible and we need to embrace the idea of change. When I think about change in the healthcare system, like we have seen in other industries and other sectors, external entrants come in and genuinely disrupt how they work. When I think about our larger legacy systems though, so I think about healthcare, education, possibly the finance sector a little less now that they've had uh, the Royal Commission, but I actually think about these legacy systems the way in which they are in fact going to transform. I think there's disruption will affect the outskirts of how they work, but I think the real change is actually going to come from within. And exactly as you just articulated, there are people who are thriving and surviving and adapting in the healthcare system and getting amazing outcomes, but also not just amazing outcomes for their clients, but they're also running profitable businesses. Now, what their definition of profitable is, you know, that, that's um, up to each individual. But I think there is this real, and we've seen it in other sectors, this shift of purpose and profit coming together to be a really great model for organisations and businesses to thrive and they're doing really, really well. And I think, you know, healthcare, for me, I think it's the individuals that are working in the system that are best placed to influence and affect change within the system. Um, whilst consumer expectations are shifting and um, the voice of the consumer, particularly probably in other industries, is becoming louder, I still think healthcare is way behind. So it's actually almost uh, businesses that say, actually, I really care about um, the journey that my clients go on. I'm really passionate about the experience that they have and they've chosen the consumer experience as their differentiation model in the market, um, I think they're leading the way in that space. But as I said, I actually think the change has to come from within. I don't think all of a sudden we're going to see people in the community with placards up in arms about 
how the health system works because we learn from a very early age, and I think this is, you know, this is a conversation for another day, but we learn from a very early age to abdicate responsibility for our own health over to the system when something goes wrong. So as soon as we become sick or unwell as an individual, even if it's through the choices, the health choices we've made ourselves, we then go to the doctor or we go to an allied health professional and say, fix me, you know, fix what's wrong, without necessarily going, yeah, what was my role in that? And um, I often tell my two daughters, you know, each and every day we get to make decisions that contribute to our longevity or contribute to our demise, particularly if they're asking for soft drink. I'm like, right, (laughs) is that going to be beneficial to you or not really? Maybe water's a better option. And then really starting to get that concept of, oh, yeah, I've got to make decisions and choices that are about how I take care of my body. And I don't think it's going to be until we hit a tipping point as um, individuals who are taking full responsibility and ownership of what happens in our body and how it works that we could, that as a consumer group, you're disrupting from outside in. So I actually do think there is a huge responsibility on clinicians, practitioners, the administrators, um, even uh, yourself, Danny with Health Tech, all of that, like anybody that's working in or supporting the healthcare system, if you want that system to be better, we all have to be doing incremental change. Even myself as a consultant into that system, everything that I do needs to be with the intent of making the system better. And then I think you're going to actually start to see real transformation and it's through those sorts of changes and that sort of mindset. Um, I know Monica and Jerry Stein, uh, they coined the term positive deviance. And <laughs> what I'm talking about with positive deviance was there are people who are operating and working within the same context, but they actually know how all the parts move and have found ways to get better outcomes than the average or than most people. And so it's learning from those individuals. And I think there's a real opportunity. There's amazing stuff happening day in, day out at an individual practitioner level, at a business level, at organisational level, at a health ecosystem level. But we... We don't share. We, we hide in these little silos. And I think there's, as I said, amazing stuff that's happening, but we just don't know about it and we don't hear about it and you don't often see the positive side of what is going on in terms of where those changes are being made. So, you know, where are those organisations that are thriving under NDIS? What are the processes? What are the systems? What's the context that they're operating in? It could be similar to someone in another geographic area or in another type of practice that they could learn from one another. I think we haven't been very good at doing that across the healthcare system, nor have we been good at um, tapping into almost what's happening in other industries and other sectors that could be deployed into the healthcare system. It's almost like it's this sacred space that no, unless it's being generated by a healthcare professional or someone within the system, we can't incorporate that. And exactly as you said, there's massive learnings that you as an organisation have done that are in fact really beneficial outside of the, the products that you deliver to your clients that they could learn from to do their work even better. And I think 
that's what I really want to tap into. And all of those things come about as a result of change. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'll tell you what, we could do a whole another podcast on um, on that topic. Um, I talk a lot uh, around the allied health community about a concept um, that I've coined, uh, which is a designing a digital healthcare experience or a HX. And um, I won't unpack it today, but it, it there's so much alignment with the idea of um, being iterative and uh, continually evolving. Um, but um, the vision of um, a community like Health Tech X, for example, is defined as a world of integrated digital healthcare empowerment for all people. And it really embraces that idea of putting the uh, the client at the centre of the healthcare system and then wrapping it around the services to fit into their world, you know, and actually help them take responsibility. I think that's a really important part of it. You know, in general terms, um, you know, health is your natural state. And then, and, and I love that sort of departure model that you're talking about because you have it. And then you can, um, depending on the choices you make, you are you are moving into um, less than optimal health, or you're coming back to health. And so we do need the healthcare uh, industry, uh, the practitioners, the experts to help us through that journey. But ultimately, we need to be accountable to ourselves. So um, I really, really resonate with what you're saying there. I've got one um, one last question just before we wrap it up today, um, because I think I know what the answer is going to be here, but. Um, I like to ask the question, in terms of reimagining healthcare, what would you like to see or what would be the one key thing that you would say we should act on or embrace right now? So if I think about reimagining healthcare, one of the things um, that I've done within my capability and capacity and within my skill set is um, I've started a social movement that's called Pledge for Change. And so the transformation that I would like to see is I want people to share the changes that they are making, be it at an individual level. So as a, you might be a nurse and you might decide, right, I don't need to seek my manager's permission to smile at every patient I see every day. And the reason that I'm going to do that is that I know that by smiling at another person, it's actually going to lift and shift their mood. Then at a business level, there's changes that are occurring and at an organisational level, there's changes occurring. So I think, you know, my transforming healthcare wish is that we share those changes, we share those learnings from those changes, um, we stop making the same mistakes in different geographic areas, in different um, specialties. And, and, and it's not just about sharing the wins. For me, it's about saying um, this is the problem that we had, this is the solution that we deployed and we wanted this to be the new outcome. When we actually went about doing that, we found it didn't work. I want to share those things and I don't see them as failings. I actually see them as really important learnings. And it's not about saying, oh, we didn't get that right. It's in fact, how good is it that you've learned that because next time you can make a more informed decision. But what's even better is what happens when you actually share that knowledge with others and we stop making those mistakes. And I think, you know, I want to see a thriving, uh, surviving growing in impact, um, growing in community outcome healthcare system. I don't, I think there are reasons why our healthcare system is configured the way it is. I just want to ensure that the system that we have in place is being its best 
and that individuals can both be their best and bring their best each and every day to the work that they do. So for me, when I talk about Pledge for Change, what I'm asking of organisations and individuals working in healthcare is to say, well, what changes are you implementing and why are you implementing those changes? And let's share that knowledge and let's share it at scale nationally so that the whole healthcare system can go up a whole notch. You know, that it's that rising tide sort of thing. Let's all go up together. Yeah. Yeah, so that can happen. So I think, you know, I often say everything in life is a bell curve. You're going to have people that are not that great and you're going to have people that are going really great. What if we could shift the bell? And that's my intent here is saying, yep, we're still going to have people that may not perform as well as the top performers. But imagine if our lowest performance is at 80%. That's an amazing outcome, both for the ecosystem, that's the healthcare ecosystem, for businesses working within that ecosystem and supporting that ecosystem, and it's an amazing outcome for the clients that are accessing services from that system as well. So I think it's it's a win all round, and that's what I'd love to see. I'd, I'd actually like to see the Australian healthcare system be its best, bring its best, enable people to be their best and bring their best each and every day. Yeah, that's fantastic. I was hoping that would be your answer because um, the uh, social movement is a real inspiration. Uh, it's hashtag pledge for change. It's really about making that public statement and putting some energy behind it. I love the whole uh, idea of sharing the um, experience, good, bad or otherwise, because um, it helps other people crowdsource the um, experience and the knowledge. And, you know, that means that as a population, we can get smarter faster in the way that we actually go about these things rather than all of these independent businesses isolating themselves and um, not realising that they're all kind of walking roughly the same path and trying to deal with the same, you know, trial and tribulation of evolving their uh, businesses. So the more we share, the more we crowdsource, the crowd's always smarter than the individual. There may be one really, really high IQ person out there that um, might be an exception to the rule. That's your bell curve theory right there. But um, as a general rule, and I think even the behavioural scientists uh, know this as well, is that the crowd is always smarter than the individual. So, you know, let's get the crowd educated and informed and sharing and cooperating because at the end of the day, we're all Australians and we all have health or don't. And so... What are we going to do as a population to improve that situation? So I think this is a great initiative. I think it's, it's really inspired vision. And I tell people about it um, almost every other day, Claire. I, I love your work. You're a powerhouse of uh, transformation energy. And I really appreciate your time today. So thank you for, for making the time. No, thank you so much for having me on today. It's been an absolute pleasure to share and rant for a period of time about uh yeah, why we can make a difference and why change is, I go, everybody's business. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Claire. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. 
I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.